Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy, simulcast on Facebook Live. EFB means excellent for business. I'm joined by my colleague Adam Belmar and special guest Peter Mirajanian. John Easton's on assignment somewhere in Oregon. Peter is a Democratic strategist who once worked for that line of the Senate, Ted Kennedy, and is the founder of Peter Mirajanian Public Affairs. He's my personal hero because he has flourished as a small business owner for almost two decades, has a great party every year to market. He's got lots of really good clients, and he does a smack dab in the middle of the swamp. So, Peter, welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast. I am delighted to be here with you, John and Adam, and uh, I appreciate that generous introduction. I'm here at EFB World Headquarters. I'm very impressed with your operation here. Not bad. And um, I would only say that I don't always flourish, but I do survive. Theory one, Trump card. Donald Trump met with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer the other night, and presto, they reached a deal on immigration. Republicans were shocked, shocked that the president would talk to the Democrats and give away the store. This follows a deal he cut with Chuck and Nance to keep the government open and extend the debt limit. Here's my theory. The president's going to continue to pull out his Trump card and cut deals with Democrats when Republicans prove they can't get their act together and govern alone. This is good for the president and good for the country. It's an open question whether it is good for Republicans or for Democrats. Peter... Your thoughts on how this plays with your friends in the Democratic Party? I think, John, you hit it exactly on the head. I think that it is it is a good thing that they're having this conversation, but I think that Chuck and Nancy are going to realize what the Republicans have realized, that that can turn on the dime. Uh, and he could sour on them tomorrow over something that is completely unrelated or something he overhears in the press conference or something Chuck Schumer says. So this is, uh, you know, uh, a moment that's more of a snapshot than the trend. Um, but having said that, I do think it does prove that Schumer and Pelosi have some, uh, some, uh, uh, let's just say viability now, even though they don't, they're in the minority. Well, they're definitely relevant. And I would yeah. say, Adam, one of the things that's interesting about this is how much grief Nancy and Chuck are getting from the far left on the, especially on the immigration stuff. My experience with immigration activists is they get really angry if they're not in on the deal. And, you know, they announce this deal and people on the left and the right are pissed. I, you know, I would argue that means it's a good deal. <laughs> well, that usually a very uh, good indication that you've got something that's worth um, passage when, when there's pain on both sides. I was going to say that uh, don't hate the players, hate the game, you know, for <laughs> those guys. And uh, I, I agree with Peter that the president – is the host of this reality TV show, and he likes to, to play Let's Make a Deal whenever he can. And you know what? A deal is going to be made. And if you're not ready to do a deal, these guys are ready to do a deal, come on down for dinner. My favorite part, though, is something that uh, President Trump is, I think, becoming pretty well known for. He has a meeting, and then his takeaway from it is usually quite different from others. And so as soon as that dinner was over... There was a deal. No, wait, there wasn't a deal. It was just a conversation. Um, it's so hard to codify exactly what comes out of these things. And the first person of the microphone is usually the winner. I would say the Democrats sort of got the upper hand. Yeah, I, I, I would say that, that might be true, Peter. Uh, but do you think the Democrats won this? Or are, are they do they win by cutting deals with President Trump? No, I, it's too early to say whether they won it. But again, to, to, put, to add on to Adam's point, I think that what you're dealing with with this reality uh, TV president is there is a chemistry with him and Schumer 
They are both from the neighborhoods up in New York, one from Brooklyn, Trump from Queens. He gets him. He never really got uh, McConnell. He never really connected with Ryan because he was never in an ideological lane in the, in the, in the, in the, that, that, that Ryan was. He was always this guy that loved to freelance it uh, and uh, made it up as he goes along. I mean, I'm from New York. I know he made it up as he goes along. Uh, I've seen his casinos and everything else he's done. <laughs> so there is that underlying Schumer um, Trump connection, which, John, I would argue, I think that's what also scares Republicans because he sees him connecting with Schumer. It's, it scares Republicans, but it's good for Trump because you know what people Absolutely. want. People, Absolutely. So what's good for Trump is not necessarily good for Republicans, especially conservatives. And what's good for Trump is not necessarily good for Democrats because, you know, Democrats, they think that Trump is Satan. They've been saying he's Satan. He's the worst thing ever. And here's Chuck Schumer making a deal with the devil. I think it's a big mistake for the Democrats, I agree with you, to do that because at the end of the day, that 34 35% that he, his, quote, base is not uh, Republicans or Democrats necessarily. They are. They are people who, who are fans of him and they want him to break the China in this town. You know, in D- and so if he's, if he's cutting a deal with Nancy and Chuck, they're like, see, that's why we got him there. In D.C., we, we, we often talk about those who can disagree without being disagreeable. The president is always disagreeable, okay? Right. Whether he agrees with you or disagrees with you, he's going to slap you. And, and, and sometimes I like to say, welcome to the NFL. That's what politics at the highest level is all about. But he can call Schumer a clown and a loser, and they can pass really sort of hardcore slights through the media, but there's, there's absolutely no problem sitting face-to-face and saying, okay, we're going to bash you in about half an hour, but let's – so, you know, so let's Peter, I mean, right I mean let's probe this a little bit deeper because yeah. I've always thought that the Trump administration is a New York takeover of Washington D.C. <laughs> You're a, a New Yorker. Way great way to put it. New Yorker. I mean, is this going to be the the Chuck and Trump show? You know, John, it's a great point. And again, you watch and you have to wince at this. Although, you know, I mean, politically, I'm not on on his on on the same side of him on a myriad of issues. But look at what happened with Jeff Sessions. Look at the news that's come out about the fact that he called Sessions an idiot up in, you know, back in May. Sessions, does, you know, he was loyal to Trump, but if he doesn't fit the mold of, of a guy that, that Trump is either feels is not loyal or is loyal, chemistry is so important to this guy, to Trump, having chemistry or not having chemistry with somebody. And I do think it's a New York takeover of it. Um, but I also believe that um, uh, that's, what, that's what I think the Republicans in the House and the Senate are concerned about. But I would also caution the Democrats. It's fickle. This is the most fickle politician you're going to deal with. His bond is not always his word. Well, I, I think that's right. I will say, though, that it's an ultimate irony that if the president is successful in building on some sort of DACA fix and get some modicum of immigration reform, that the guy who pardoned Joe Arpaio is the savior of the dreamers. That's got to confuse the hell out of everybody. And he loves that. I think he thrives on that. Right, Adam? He thrives on being the joker in the deck. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Uh, he's unpredictable. He is really feeling his oats. He's continuing to fix. And there's something, and I don't mean this as condescending as it just felt in my mind what I, what I thought about saying it. There's something childlike about this discovery process for the president in my mind because he really is new to deal-making on the political stage and the idiosyncrasies of procedure in the United States Congress, where power lies, what can be achieved 
with a minority while still understanding that the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader in the Senate have enormous control to thwart him, even though he's got a deal in principle. Theory two, the Gordian knot. Our tax code is a complicated knot. Unspooling it piece by piece is a very complicated and very difficult process. If you take one piece out, you have to put another piece in to pay for it. Most folks on K Street believe that the politicians in Congress don't have the will or the expertise to pass reform, and they've largely given up trying. Most Americans don't pay any federal taxes, but the people who do pay taxes are small business owners, and they got sacked by a very, very high rate. My theory, the president's going to cut a deal with Democrats to deliver a tax cut that will largely benefit working-class Americans and maybe some small business owners. He's going to chop the Gordian knot by not doing much in reform. Adam, you've worked on tax reform for a while. How's this all going to play out? Well, I I agree with you, John, that uh, the president is feeling a great deal of personal pressure. He's pressuring himself to make this now the thing that needs to get done before year's end. And he's going to take every opportunity that he can find to make that happen, up to and including not delivering on reform and just doing cuts. Um, I think the president is in a dangerous place, and I'll, I'll tell you why. When he speaks, people listen. When he speaks, we know that no one else really speaks for him, and yet he has representatives in Mulvaney, Mnuchin, and others who are fanned out across Washington, and Gary Cohn, um, who are negotiating. It's hard to negotiate in good faith when nobody necessarily thinks that you're speaking for the President of the United States. So what's going to happen? I think we are going to get a cut in the corporate rate, and I think if anyone should be worried at the moment, it should be the folks at the top of the bracket who the president is likely to undercut and say, you know what? You're right. No tax cuts for rich people. So, uh, so Peter, R- Richie Neal, who I like a lot, yeah. the ranking member of the Ways and Means Committee, smart guy, he basically said that, listen, if the president's going to do our kind of tax cut, we're going to support him. You think Democrats could actually come on board a tax cut? Well, that, that, that benefits working-class Americans? Yeah, I, I think Richie Neal is one of uh, the smartest guys up there, and I, I think he's, he's savvy. He's been around the block, and he gets it. Um, here, here's the problem. The problem is, is the calendar. The problem is the fact that there is very little time left to do something. The, 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 the Obamacare repeal sucked up so much oxygen all throughout the uh, spring and into the summer. I think that you're on, under a very short window. I think that when people talk about the 86 tax reform bill with Reagan, that was two years in the making, John. That wasn't two months in the making. And my prediction is I don't think this is going to come together, and I think Trump is going to pivot right to infrastructure, and that's going to be the next thing he does. Well, Lord knows there's been more than two years of intense labor going back to Chairman Camp uh, on tax reform on the Republican side, John. Let me ask you you this question, and I've been thinking more and more about this. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about the corporate rate, and there's been a lot of work done, a lot of good PR work done on the corporate rate. Um, but I would say that if you're a small business owner, as we are small business yes. owners, we're all small business yeah. owners, and you're paying a rate of 43%, you don't want to see corporate America get a rate to 25% or 20%. And you're like, we're, this, I'm, I'm in competition with these guys. I want to become a big corporation, but I can't because i got to pay so much money in taxes. How does that square? How do, what do you think? If you're a small business owner, no, what do you think? Yeah, Peter? right. I mean, I think that we all – I mean, you know, 
my personal situation, I pay quarterly estimated taxes. I think a lot of small businesses do that. Did you mean your check went in just like ours yesterday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what we do. Now, if there was a, a new tax um, structure that allowed me to sort of defray some of that and, and maybe bring on somebody. I mean, as you guys know, I've been operating on my own, and I bring on 1099 consultants, but maybe this would free me up to build out my team a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I think, John, that, that that is a reflection of not, you know, just me, but I think, you know, businesses all around the country face that similar circumstance. You know, I, I, I'm fascinated by the, the characters that are trying to get tax reform. You know, Kevin Brady, for example, basically he's saying – I'll do whatever you want. I'll put in infrastructure spending if that gets me votes. I'm, I'm, I'm open for business yeah, now. Yeah, that shocked me yesterday. I, it was, I thought that was pretty interesting. And Brady's, Brady's a smart guy. Then you got Orrin Hatch, who's, you know, the, the, the senator who's been around for a long time. He's been holding on very deeply to this, um, you know, this idea of uh, this tax reform that gets integration. rid of integration that gets rid of, rid of double taxation for companies. Right. No one knows what the hell he's talking about, but it's, it's a very interesting idea. And then you have, and then you have Steve Mnuchin, who you know is trying to get a corporate jet for his wife on their honeymoon, uh, which is t- turning out to be kind of a big disaster. I mean, you know, and he goes in, and Mnuchin goes in. He says, "I want an eighteen-month debt limit." Chuck and Nancy come in and say, "We want a three-month." The president goes with Chuck and Nancy. Right. So, uh, you know, how does this all work out? Well, I mean, you know, again, my, my take on it is, I mean, I, the, the dynamic between Cohn and Munchen is the one to watch. Um, I think Munchen, uh, Cohn was the president's fair-haired boy. Um, he's bald, but he was his fair-haired <laughs> boy. Um, until Charlottesville. Until, right. until he came out and questioned. Then all of a sudden his stock went right down, and then and now he's left with, you know, Munchen. I don't think Munchen was ever really close with the president. I think he saw him as a reward for raising all that money for him. He was his finance chair. Yes, he's got the Goldman connection, but I think that Cohn was the big brain in this whole process. But his light is now dimmed. So I think their compromise, when they go up to Adam's point, I mean, who's speaking for the president? Yeah. Who's, who, you know, but I, I find that Brady thing interesting, John, that he's willing to sort of, you know, put some more ornaments on the Christmas tree to get this thing done. Right, Adam. I I want to digress, if you will allow it, uh, Mr. Fury, into some of the optics that you made mention of uh, Mnuchin and the uh, blue and white G5. So choice, if you have one of these, I highly recommend you pick one up. Um, the, uh, the, the, the Treasury Secretary who had um, this sort of optical faux pas with his beautiful Hollywood actress wife, um, on the eclipse when they took the G5 out to Fort Knox to figure out whether the gold was still there, and thank God it is. <laughs> um, and they, they got a sneak peek at the eclipse, and then there was um, Louise Linton's uh, tweets and stuff. But now it's come out this week that they were going off on their honeymoon to Scotland. and the was this, treasure- this was earlier. This yeah, was this before. was previously, Peter. And it turns out that the Treasury Secretary thought... That, uh, Don't you think that he'd have his own G5? Well, he's certainly got all the resources to, to have affected that trip. And then they requested the plane, and they figured out that it wasn't something they, that they needed or, or whatever, and there was optically it was challenged. There are two things I want to say on this. One, and Peter's done uh, presidential advance work, uh, and he knows uh, 
that the, the pitfalls aren't just what goes on in an event, but all of the things leading up to it and, and, and how things are conceived. But um, number one, when I first got to the White House as a deputy assistant to the president, we were getting ready for a big foreign trip. And I had a very narrow but deep uh, section of the communications portfolio. And I had a lot of pressure on me, Peter. And it was, hey, don't screw this up. But what I didn't understand was how presidential travel works and how I was supposed to do what I was supposed to do. I was telling this to John the other day. And so I figured, oh, I've got to support the president. I'll put in to be manifested on, the, on Air Force One across the trip. And, of course, I was slapped like, you're not going on the plane with the president on this entire trip. You're of no use to him. If you're going there with him, you've got to be there. I finally figured it out. It's very hard to figure out how these things so go. So the, the, point, the point here is that no one has a kind of learning manual. Right. You kind of learn by making mistakes. And Mnuchin did learn by making a mistake, but you you can't kind of learn by making mistakes when you're trying to reform the tax code. No, well, no, it, yeah, and, and look, and, and, and let's not you know, again. I'm now I'm going to show my age, okay, Adam? Because I want to hear some some advanced okay. fallout stories it's, it's, from you. Not an advanced you know. fallout story, but but you remember when John Sununu took the car or the plane to oh yeah to to go to a stamp show or something like that? Do you, do you have the right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do remember that. I don't remember okay. that. The, first, the, first, the first Bush White House. It was the first Bush White House. Yeah, I remember House. when he did it. He took co- a government, either a car or a plane. I don't know what it was. I think it was a car. I'm not sure. To go to this thing. And he was out shortly thereafter. So, again, this goes back to the level of uh, um, a guy like Munchen, who's so optically, uh, you know, uh, challenged in terms of, you know, how he how he's... Uh, He's at, he's he's on the he comes off the monopoly board down the Washington. But, but keep in mind, keep in mind that Sununu had a lot of other problems. Sure, and that wasn't the reason why he got bounced. But Vanucci's but, but is also on thin he's ice. He's got thin ice on, on the hill. I think yeah. the Republicans don't really view him as someone they can trust. I want I want one more bite at this apple, which is just to say <laughs> that the optics are not always fouled up by Republicans uh, this not. month. Harvard's Kennedy School of Government decided to offer a senior fellowship to Chelsea Manning, which led others, including former CIA director, to uh, resign. I mean, Harvard really stepped in it. There are a lot of people making really optically challenged decisions. Well, but it does remember, it reminds me, who was that guy who was working for the Clinton administration and put his golf clubs on a helicopter? He took took Marine One to go go play golf during the Clinton administration. Because he was trying to do advanced work on... uh, I'm going to get a text from somebody from my Clinton days who's going to remember who that was, but I know who you're talking about. Josh King knows who it is. But I mean, as I'm listening to this, you say in terms of you know Harvard and all this. I mean, are we going to talk about Equifax at all? <laughs> talk about optics. Talk about tone deaf. I mean, Equifax. Yeah, they really, really blew that. Well, <laughs> we're, we're moving I'm on. Not good. No, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Theory three: Baker's dozen. Talking about screwing up. Dusty Baker, the Washington Nationals manager, is revered in the city. People find him to be very likable. He's a former Marine. And he's played an iconic role in the world of baseball. But if the Nationals don't win the World Series, it's his fault. He has long had a reputation as a guy who puts too much mileage on his pitching staff. And after watching Max Scherzer and Gio Gonzalez this week against the Braves, let me just say I'm worried. Peter, Peter, I know you're a horse guy. You bet the ponies. Yes. Would you put even money bet on the Washington Nationals winning the World Series this year? Uh, 
Well, let, let's go back. Getting getting to um, uh, beating the Dodgers two weeks ago, I would have said no chance, and then the Dodgers what went one and nine. Yeah, uh, they, so they I think I think I think the Nationals actually have a, have a, have a better than even money chance that they would they would get there. Um, as you know, I'm a Yankee fan. I've been in this town for 30 years. I'm surprised you're not a Cub fan, John. I hate the Cubs. I'm a White Sox fan. But the White Sox play in the American League, and the uh, the Nationals play in the National okay, League. So, so you'll root for the Nats. I'm agnostic about the Nats, Adam. I'm, I'm not a baseball guy at all, and and and, and uh, Fury knows this. Uh, well, let me just let me just say that this is not a baseball town, Washington. It should be because the Redskins stink. <laughs> the Redskins stink, but we all <laughs> revere the Redskins. Hail I the don't Redskins. revere the Redskins. No, we do. Well, not. you guys have a half hour on that. <laughs> I mean, I sit there. You're, I just, you're a Bears fan. I'm, well, I'm a Bears fan. I'm more of a Notre Dame fan, and they they lost again too. But uh, what happened to the Yankees? Are they, are they? No, we're all right. We're three games out. I mean, the uh, the Yankees are in the situation where if they win the division, they're going to have to play Houston, which I still think is a very good, dangerous team. If they if they get out of the wild card, if they wouldn't, if they if they may have to play either Houston or Cleveland. Cleveland won off what twenty two in a row. Twenty two in a row. It's amazing. I, I don't call me crazy. I'd rather see the Yankees play Cleveland than have to go to Houston. I think Fury's just a little bit worried that. He put down money for some great seats for the uh, for the playoffs, and he doesn't want to go watch the Nats lose. He wants to see the Nats win. I want to see that. I'm very, very nervous. Uh, I saw what Scherzer did. They let they left Scherzer in there, and he got really tired, loaded the bases. They bring in their relief pitcher, and then he lets up a grand slam. And they lose to Atlanta like nine to two, which is ridiculous. I went to the Geo game. Geo was tired. Uh, he has the second game in a row where he's throwing curveballs that my son Jack could hit. I mean, my son's a good player, uh, but he's, you know, he's 11. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that makes me nervous. They won, I went to the game last night, and they won. Uh, so they're back on, and they got this huge series this weekend against the Dodgers. I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. If How they, many, what is their record compared to the Dodgers? I think they're about four games behind the Dodgers right now, so they can make up some serious ground. If they catch the Dodgers, I mean, that's home field advantage. It's pretty, pretty sweet. Okay, so they would play, the Dodgers would play if the Dodgers stay in first, the winner of the wild card, and more than likely the Nats are going to play either the Cubs or the Cardinals. I think that's that's the, the most likely thing. Yeah, yeah Topher Cushman and I will be watching the Redskins. How about that? Um, no, Topher will also be watching the Nationals. He's a, a season ticket, ticket holder. He's part of my season group, So, and Topher's a good guy. Uh, I will say that the Redskins suck. Go Big Blue, New York Giants. All right, finally, last question. What is your favorite steakhouse in, on Capitol Hill? Uh, and I'm going to start with you, Adam. On Capitol Hill, my favorite steakhouse is Aqua al Due. Um, I realize it's an Italian restaurant. Now, do you like the balsamic steak or the blueberry steak? No, no, it's the balsamic steak. It was recommended to me by Christopher Brown of EFB. Uh, I had it, and uh, I've been back for it. It's... Uh, this is the Italian uh, restaurant, brother. Yeah, it's just over here in, in the Eastern Market, yeah. Peter, and it is outstanding. And uh, Peter, um, you're not—you spent some time in the Hill. You used to work for Dutco, right above Bullfeathers. Bullfeathers right. does not does not have a stake, as right. far as I know. Um, My cholesterol level went up to about 240 while I was above Bullfeathers. <laughs> is now settled back down. <laughs> so, what's your favorite steakhouse in the Hill? Uh, you know, I, I don't get up here as often, uh, but when I do, I mean, there's been it's, it's been the sea change. I mean, I, I've been in D.C. for 30 years, and, and so when I would come up here, was you know, was it was the Hawk and Dove and, and all these. I mean, now there are tons of these great restaurants um, and some serious steakhouses and some too. serious steak, which I don't know about. I, I would have to say Capitol Grill. It's still a good one. Uh, I like it actually better than Charlie Palmer. I think Charlie Palmer is good food, but if I want a really nice 
steak to dig into. I'd go to. I think the steak experience at Capital Grill is probably better. I like the cheeseburger better at. Uh, although I shouldn't say that. And the tuna tartare. What should I? How should I phrase it? I think it's happening at, live. At Charlie Palmer's. Uh, you know what? But I will say the best steak I've had in all the city is Aquel Dewey. The blueberry steak is to die. The blueberry for. steak, it's unbelievable. Very, I very gotta good. try this. You got, you gotta, I gotta, gotta try. try it. I want to also do a shout out. You know, when I was growing up, um, the big place to go was Morton's Steakhouse. And I remember one time I brought my my dad to Morton's Steakhouse, and sitting right next to us was Pat Summerall, and at the table over was Dan Rosinkowski. And I remember this very, very specifically because my dad, you know, I bring him in, and he, you know, my dad used to like have a, a vodka every once mm-hmm. in a while, and the, the Morton Steakhouse dinner you know, place was expensive, and they had the smallest little martinis, and my dad was so angry about it. I'm not gonna pay all this money for this little bit, bit of vodka, but anyway, I but, say but that. John, I but, s- that, but Morton's is still an iconic place. But you, we, you guys used to go to the different Mortons, right? Wait, but let me ask you. Let's get back to Chicago. No Gene and Giorgetti and Gibsons. Well, I'm talking about in in DC. Oh, oh! I thought you were talking about when you were growing no, up. No, no, no. When, when, when I brought my dad here, you think Fury could afford to take his dad for a steak when he was growing up in right, Chicago? Yeah, no, oh wait, no, no, no! Okay, all right. Well, well, I still think BLT, uh, not the one in the Trump Tower, but the one at 16th and I is is the best steak in town. Period. Um, black and blue is how I like it, which is a chart or Pittsburgh as they call it, charred with a cool blue center. Yeah, it's funny because we've been sort of dancing around Morton's. I think they do a fantastic job. Anybody who might be looking to retain the services of Peter Mirajanian or Peter Mirajanian Public Affairs uh, will find Peter usually ensconced because he works all over the city, but he really enjoys the balcony at, uh, at Morton's downtown uh, at 1050 Connecticut. And I think that is one of the greatest spots it really is. in all of Washington, D.C. It really I is. I love to be out there. I spent a couple of years. Every day, we would do what I like to call Cokes and Smokes. <laughs> a couple of Diet Cokes, a couple no, of Smokes. No, it really is. It's a great spot. I mean, yeah, I'm a cigar uh, yeah. smoker. And, and being out there on an afternoon, and you can actually – I see people are actually working on their iPads. Mm-hmm. They're doing conference calls, and they're having to smoke. And it's, it's just – it's delightful. And Not, the rains yeah, yeah. are covered. Are you still doing all the uh, – Betting for the horse races. Yes, there. I collecting am. all those yes. bets. You know, I, I think I won you once. You stopped this year, John. <laughs> and if you had stayed in it, you would have had the winner of the uh, Preakness, and you would have gotten about forty-five. How's uh, Drew Cole? How's Drew bucks. Cole doing? Is he? Uh, is he into you for a lot of money? Has he been avoiding you? No, he's not avoiding me. I know okay. where he's. he's, he's you know where he lives. I, I know where he lives. I know where he lives. Um, but uh, I appreciate you guys having me on this. This has been a blast. Man. Hey, I want to thank Peter Mirajanian from PMPA for joining us today. Uh, you will usually see, uh, see Peter at Morton's of Chicago, which we talked about earlier. And he made a special trip to the Hill for this day, and we really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the Fury Theory Podcast simulcast on Facebook Live. This broadcast is brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. Yeah, I baby. I love that slogan. Yeah, baby.